Welcome, and thanks for checking out the Living Word Family Church Sermon Podcast. Before we get to the message, we'd like to invite you to check out Living Word Family Church if you don't already have a church home. For more information, you can check out our website at livingwordfamily.org. All right, Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20. I'm going to read you a passage here, uh, probably familiar to you. Wednesday, so we're in the Gospels. We're in the Gospels, probably, or we're in Psalms, or we're doing a healing message. Tonight we're in the Gospels. And uh, in uh, Matthew chapter 20, beginning in verse 20, it says, Then the mother of Zebedee's sons, who were Zebedee's sons? Anybody know? James and John. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to him with her sons, kneeling down and asking something from him. And he said to her, What do you wish? She said to him, grant that these two sons of mine may sit, one on your right hand and the other on the left, in your kingdom. Just really quickly, give you a little context here. They still, their understanding was still darkened. Here's Jesus uh, getting nearer and nearer to his uh, crucifixion and resurrection. In fact, he had just predicted it again, told them what was going to happen. And this is one of the responses. They still could not grasp where he was going to suffer and die. They just knew he was coming into his kingdom. They really knew he was the Messiah. They were convinced he was the Messiah. And they thought he's going to set up the kingdom, restore Jerusalem to its former glory, and rule and reign not just in Jerusalem but over the whole earth. And they were going to be his cabinet, as it were, uh, members of his court. And here come uh, James and John's mom, here comes James and John's mom saying, since this is going to happen, and it's probably going to happen soon, I know all these guys are important to you, but you've got your throne, and you've got a seat on the left and a seat on the right. I want my boys sitting right by you. This is her request. But Jesus answered and said, you do not know what you ask. And he, he, was, he wasn't putting her down. He, she literally didn't know. <laughs> she didn't understand what was going to happen to Jesus. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And he's talking here about the cup of suffering and what we would call a baptism by fire. He's not talking about the Holy Spirit. He's not talking about water baptism. He's talking about the ordeal he is about to go through. They said to him, we are able. So he said to them, you will indeed drink my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it is prepared by my Father. Let me just read through this before I come back and do any more commentary. And when the ten had heard it, they were greatly displeased with the two brothers. But Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires desires to be great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. Now if you go back up here to where first he challenges, I know what you think you want, but you really don't know what you're asking. Can you go through what I'm going to go through? Yeah, we're able to do that. He says, as a matter of fact, you will. They were going to go through suffering and trials, right? And, uh, and death. But he says, you know, you're going to go through it, but what the thing you're asking me to grant you isn't mine to grant. Now, isn't that a little bit odd? He says, that's not mine to grant. It's, it's my Father's, which is in heaven. But isn't Jesus God? We believe in the Trinity, right? We do. But you know there's order in the Godhead. 
First things first, there's two, two answers to this. And one is, yes, uh, there, is the, there is God the Son, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. All God, all co-equal in terms of their essence, but there, is a, there are assigned roles. There is perfect agreement in the Godhead, but specific roles. And the other thing to remember, of course, is that Jesus here is operating. He laid his glory aside. He's not operating as the omnipotent, omniscient son of God. He's operating as a man, sinless man, full of the Holy Spirit and led by the Spirit of God. All right? So he's saying, that's going to be up to my father. It is up to my father who's going to sit where you're asking for these boys to sit. And then he really gets to the heart of it because he calls into question why they desire that thing. Why is it important to sit the left and right hand of Jesus? You know, it's a common desire of man. It's what Jesus said. Uh, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. It's a common desire of man to be in a position of power for selfish reasons. We want the recognition, we want the privilege, we we want the money, uh, whatever. Whatever the the perks are that come with authority. And I've talked about this before, but really quickly, you know, a great comparison, uh, a great illustration of this is rank in the military. Uh, Rank does come with privileges. Uh, Chris, are you wearing E8 yet? Is that okay? But you're you've got it. It's in the it's in the pocket. That's nothing to sneeze at, as uh, as as anybody who's been in the military knows. Does that get you into any exclusive level of NCO club or something like that? They've got I know senior NCO clubs and things like that. Uh, Huh? They don't do that anymore. Oh man, what's the point? Why 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 aim for that rank? No, which (laughs) so anyway, uh, but no, it does come with uh, obviously the, the higher you go in rank the better the pay. Uh, there, are, there are perks that come, and, and you, you're all familiar with the phrase, rank hath its privileges. There are things you can get away with, certain rank. Commander Gray over here knows a thing or two about that. But the rank isn't just given as a reward for the person holding the rank. It's not like, well, we like you, so we're going to reward you with rank, and that comes with power, and it comes with perks. What's the rank primarily for? It, it's, it, because it comes with the authority and the power and the juice to do the job the military is asking you to do or commissioning you to do. All right? I'll tell you a couple stories here. Uh, going back to my first real job, which was working at the IGA here in St. Joe, working for Cliff Evans. Worked there starting my junior year in high school. I actually liked that job. I really enjoyed it. I, worked a, I spent a lot of years in retail, mostly in grocery. But my first job was with IGA, and I was a decent worker. I was a good worker, as a matter of fact. I worked there a couple years and uh, was promoted to the exalted position of night manager. That was my store from about 4 or 5 o'clock till 9, till closing. And I was one of a handful of guys that was on a rotation. I wasn't the night manager. I was a night manager. Came with a little bit of a raise. And, uh, of course, you know, I was still working on the floor, but I was supervising everybody, supervising my peers, you know? I mean, I'm 17 years old. And, uh, but I can remember one time before I got that position, I was working there one night, and the guy who was the evening manager, who was actually one of the full-timers, which was rare, it was usually another part-timer who was doing the evening managing, but this guy, he says, Scott, come back here. And he takes me back, we're back in the, uh, the, meat meat room 
was back in there where the, where the butcher worked and prepared all the meat. And, and it was one-way glass. So we could see out, but they couldn't see in. And he's pointing at another employee, a friend of mine, a peer of mine, who's out there working, literally working, with one hand in his pocket. He'd pull out his price marker, chink, 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 put it back. And he's working steadily, but he's doing exactly half <laughs> of, of what he should be doing. And he just, and this guy just kind of points and says, just kind of shrugs. All right, now this guy, you know, uh, I'm not saying he wasn't conscientious. He just wasn't highly motivated at this point in his life. And I was, you know, and I wasn't out there trying to, I wasn't trying to butter anybody up. But if I had work to do, I wanted to get it done. If I got my work done, if I got, one, if I got my stocking done, I could, then I could spend time straightening the shelves. If I got the shelves straightened, I could get my, the floor swept. And then that gave me time to just walk around, talk to customers, whatever. Uh, I'm still on the clock, and if something needed done, uh, I get it done. But rather than walk around, take my time, and then next thing you know, it's, it's 15 minutes till closing, and I've got a lot of work to do. I wanted to get all the work done ahead of time. One of the reasons I got to be evening manager. All right? I know, your esteem for me just went up several notches if you didn't know that before. You were an IGA assistant manager. Scott, I had no idea. Now, while we were there, though, this was a funny thing. There was another guy who was a couple years younger than me, uh, and, and I'd been working there, I don't know, two or three years at this point, I suppose, and this guy, uh, who was a, kind of a, a friend of mine. We weren't close, but he did kind of hang out with us every now and then. He started working there, and he'd been working there maybe three weeks, month. And uh, he goes up. This was so embarrassing because I'm standing right there. I don't know if I was having a conversation with Cliff. Probably not. We didn't spend a lot of time chewing the fat <laughs> with the boss. But Cliff happened to be there, and I was doing something. And this other guy comes up and says, uh, Mr. Evans, can I ask you a question? Yeah. He says, how does one get to be a manager? And I just wanted to, you know, I wasn't even the one who asked it, but I'm embarrassed. I'm embarrassed to hear this question because it was such a blatant attempt at just putting himself forward, telling him how much I want to do, uh, want to be this. And Cliff just kind of turned around and walked off. It's like he didn't even know how to respond. And that reminds me of when I, when I was thinking about that immediately, fast forward a few years, I was at my officer basic course. Now, just to give you a little bit of uh, background on this, this is, a, this is the school, was, I don't know, it was between four and five months long. It varied uh, from time to time. I was there sometime between four and five months where they train brand new second lieutenants <laughs> to do their job. You know, you, you go through your, whatever source your commissioning is from, whether it's West Point, in my case, ROTC, or officer candidate school. Uh, you get the, you go through basic, uh, you learn some basic things in order to become an officer, and then when you become an officer, they give you a branch assignment. You know, you, so I was, and I always knew I was going to be an infantry officer, so I went to infantry officer basic course. And this is where they teach you the in and outs of doing the job that you are commissioned to do. All right, now, it's, it was known and probably still is. They don't even call it that anymore. What do they call it now? But instead of infantry officer basic course, it's basic officer leader course. Leader course? So anyway, infantry officer basic course. It was a, uh, uh, what they call it, a gentleman's course. Meaning it was, it, as long as you weren't out in the field, it was kind of an 8 to 5 job. You did show up for PT most mornings, so you'd get out and do PT at 5.30. But you show up on your own. You didn't have drill sergeants. You kind of... You, you had these uh, captains who were in charge of the platoon, but it, they, you know, they didn't, they, it was such a rare thing for something to happen, like you get dropped for push-ups or something like that. It was it's a, a gentleman's course. And to be really honest, and, and I would put this somewhat on the leadership, 
nobody took it super seriously. All right? I wanted to learn. I expected to learn some things. I didn't want it to be a waste of time. Uh, but I also, you know, I wasn't super motivated to put myself out there. I didn't, I didn't want to make it any harder on myself than I had to. All right? And to be perfectly honest, the way to make it easier on yourself was not to be thrust into a leadership role. And this is, what, this is the way the course was designed. Whether it was a classroom week or in the field, they would rotate leadership positions. So this week, or this, maybe for this day, or these three days, you're going to be a squad leader. You're going to be a team leader. You're going to be a platoon sergeant. You're going to be a platoon leader. You're going to be an executive officer. You're going to be a first sergeant. You're going to be a company commander. It was all student-led, but they rotated positions. And deep down in his heart of hearts, there might have been 2% of these guys that actually wanted on a day-to-day basis to be a platoon leader or a company commander. You did, you just, it was a headache. Well, you know, you're marching your platoon to the next class or something like that and filling out reports and all this other stuff. It's easier just to go to the classes, just to be one of the troops, help out the guys that are bearing the load for that day. But every one of us got to serve at some point at at least the platoon leader level. And, uh, but I remember our, our company commander, who was a major, Major Sam Pride, got up one day and he's given us, he'd give us the daily briefing and at the end of the week he'd give us the big safety talk and everything and he said, I had somebody come up to me today and ask me this question. He said, sir, how do I get to be company commander? Let me tell you something, lieutenants, that's not how you get to be company commander. I loved that. That was a great line. And that's exactly what is happening here. What have we got to do, Lord, to sit on your right and left hand? And Jesus says, that's not what you got to do. You have a desire. You think you're impressing me by telling me how close you want to be to the seat of power. That doesn't impress me. It also doesn't impress me with your qualities for those positions. Your desire for a position of power is not indicative of your qualifications for a position of power and authority. Further back in the mists of time, had a couple who were gifted. They were intelligent. They had some especially good, uh, vibrant ideas about children's ministry and leadership development and things like that. And they made it clear. They never came out and said it, but they made it clear through hint and conversation that they really saw themselves as the next leaders of the children's department. And uh, when that, because, and it became clear that that was, some, that was an opening we were going to have. And when that opening came and we filled it with somebody else, they were terribly offended. I mean, to the point where in a few weeks they were gone. But, and I'm not exaggerating, this was a couple that came in at least a half hour late every single Sunday. Praise and worship was long gone, long over, Okay. They would come in late, and they would come in and, 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 and you know, couldn't quietly slip in. You never, I knew they were late. And that's the kind of thing, it's like, children's ministry. Children's ministry is happening by the time you guys get here. How do I get to be an exalted place in the kingdom? Not by asking for it. What did Jesus say? Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. I want to stir you up by way of reminder what you can do to fulfill this. And what I beg you not to say is, you know, Scott, I really don't care. Now see, there we've offended somebody else. Several people. 
<laughs> Don't shut the tape off. There go Russ. There go Jeff. No, I'm kidding. Don't say this. Don't say, Scott, you don't, you don't understand. I don't care about being exalted in the kingdom. I just don't want to go to hell. And I think deep down inside, that's the way some people feel. I promise you, you will feel different at the consummation of the kingdom. When we are there, you're going to, oh, could have been so much more. I just don't want to go to hell. No, you want to be great in the kingdom. And it's not about being greater than me or greater than your neighbor. You want to be greater than you. You want to be greater than you are now. You know, we are, Jesus said we are going to rule and reign with him. Paul said, we just read this in Corinthians, you're going to judge angels. We're going to be in position. There's, there's rank. But there's plenty of room for us to all. Everybody in this room can be great. If you want to be great, be a servant. If you want to be first, be a slave. You say, well, it's not that I'm opposed to greatness, but I really don't want to go around washing everybody's feet. Look, there are some very real, practical, effective ways you can serve that make a bigger difference than you might imagine. I'm going to preface, I, no, I'm going to preface, I'm going to say it first, and then I'm going to go back and mitigate it somewhat so you don't think I'm thinking of anybody in particular because I'm not. You know, I got up here, and, and one of the, the first thing I said in the, when I got behind the pulpit was, wow, decent crowd. And it was stunning to me because it wasn't a decent crowd when praise and worship started. At least half of you got here since then. And I understand, this is the part where I mitigate it. It's Wednesday night, and we start earlier than we used to. Some, some of you, it's all you can do to get here. When you get here, and I appreciate it. Don't say, well, Scott says be there on time, and if I can't be on time, I guess I won't come. No, come. But if you can be on time, be on time. That's all I'm asking. What's that have to do with serving? Talked about this before. There's a, it, it, it makes a difference in a number of ways. I know for a fact it makes a difference to the praise and worship team. When they're standing up there ready to lead the congregation, it's nice when there's a congregation. Makes a difference. Also makes a big difference for that first timer or that visitor. When they call and say, what time does church start? Well, it starts at 7. Doors open at 6.30. Service starts at 7. And they show up at 5 till. And there's three people in here. And then service starts and there's 10 people in here. Is that the best way we can welcome them? Now, again, you know, people continue to drift in, and then when it's over, we say, hey, are there any visitors here? And we clap, and maybe maybe by that, that time it's, it's all good, but wow, first impressions matter, don't they? If I'm visiting a church, and maybe, and I don't, you know, I've, I'm pretty committed to my church. Uh, but I have visited churches in the past, and, and it's, it's, I'll tell you what, depending on what you're looking for, uh, it, it, it can be a pretty scary, intimidating thing to walk into a room that is sparsely populated. You don't always want to, it's nice to be noticed, it's nice to be welcomed and greeted, you don't want to be invisible, some people do, I like to be greeted and everything, but I don't want to be noticed by every single person at the same time because I happen to be one of five or ten people in the room. You don't either, probably. And we can make a difference. You are serving one another and you are serving the community, you're serving the visitors, you're serving the body of Christ when, you just, when you're just here. 
Also, speaking of praise and worship. Participate in praise and worship. I'm not telling you exactly what to do. I'm just saying participate. Scott, to participate. Uh, sometimes, depending on my mood, depending on what's going on, where my heart is right now, participating is faking it. No, it's not. Obedience isn't faking it. The Bible, when it can, there are so many injunctions that simply say, praise ye the Lord. That is an encouragement. It is also a command. It doesn't say, praise ye the Lord when you feel like it. Uh, only praise the Lord if, it, if the words coming out of your mouth reflect what you are feeling in your heart at that time. No. Why do we sing those words? Because they are true about the God we're singing them about and to. And God honors that obedience. How is that serving others, though? It serves others this kind of the same way. Man, I can remember Sunday mornings at my old Methodist church where, I mean, praise and worship was pretty tame. And for a charismatic church, we're pretty tame. But, I mean, too, it's a big, big difference. I mean, this, this would have been ultra-radical back in the day. You just didn't. You, you, you Maybe on the Sunday night sing-spirations, you might have a hand clap or two, but that's about as animated as you got. There was nothing in between the songs. No clap, no thank you, Lord, no nothing. It was just the amen at the end of the song, and then the organ would start, and you'd sing the next song. But what you did here were robust voices, people singing their hearts out with those hymns. And you know what that made it easier for me to do as a kid? Sing along. Sing along. So sing. Praise the Lord. It makes it easier for your neighbors, and again, those who are weaker in the faith, to get into this obviously uh, here we are we're getting ready we are getting ready to start another quarter if there are children's ministry openings fill them serve in the children's ministry if we have a work day sign up for it work with us we have, we have a crew here usually on fridays almost every one of those fridays they could they're involved in something where they could always use another hand uh, if you can stop in if there's there's cleanup there's always vacuuming to be done all sorts of that stuff going on through the week you know you we we have more exalted positions from time to time like on the praise and worship team usher team things like that you don't need you certainly don't need to be uh an employee of the church to serve the body you don't have to be uh, uh on the stage some people would desire that some people don't you know I've, I've got there are people that come in through the week they'll just stop in is there anything i can do for you i was out for a walk i was out for a bike ride what can i do for you sometimes there's something sometimes there's nothing it's great great just or call hey I'm free today. Is there something I can come down and do? Those are, these are small examples of things that you can, you can do to help out from time to time. Uh, there are things, though. Here, are, let me give you two things real quickly that you can do on a regular basis that really do make a difference in terms of serving the body. And when I say the body, I'm talking about one another. And when we serve one another, we are serving the body of Christ. When we serve the body of Christ, we are serving Christ himself. And the first one is this, pray. You know that, right? I ask you again, does prayer make a difference? Does God hear our prayers? When we pray in faith, does he respond to these prayers? So when we pray for one another and when we pray for this church, are we serving? We are. We absolutely are because our prayers matter. Second thing you can do on a regular basis is give. Call this a year of giving because we want to remind, again, stir you up by way of reminder, exhort you to continue to give. When you give, you turn your work into something holy. God has blessed you with the ability to work, the ability to earn an income. He absolutely is your source. I don't think anybody in here would argue with that. So you serve him with your income. You help keep this church powered, cool, 
warm, whatever it needs to be, clean, led, and you are serving the people. You are serving one another. But I also want you, uh, as as I begin to, to wind this down, I want you to see a concrete example of what Jesus was talking about when he said these things. Let me read those last three verses we just read, and then we'll read on starting in verse 29. When Jesus said in verse 26, Yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. Think about that. And to give his life a ransom for many. Now, as they went out of Jericho, a great multitude followed him. And behold, two blind men sitting by the road, when they heard that Jesus was passing by, cried out, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, son of David. Then the multitude warned them that they should be quiet. But they cried out all the more, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, son of David. So Jesus stood still and called them and said, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Lord, that our eyes may be opened. So Jesus had compassion and touched their eyes, and immediately their eyes received sight, and they followed him. First thing I want you to notice, and this is one of those things that jumped off the page at me when I read it this time, this is Jesus Christ. Again, he's operating as a human being, filled by the Spirit, led by the Lord. But he is, in terms of his identity, he is God the Son. And he asks, what do you want me to do for you? And this time, what the, you know, he asked that. It's similar, but not the same. You know, he asked uh, their mother a few verses earlier, what, uh, what do you want? What do you wish? She asked for this thing. She asked for these positions. He said, I'm not authorized to give that. This time he said, what do you want me to do for you? And they asked, and he said, and this is something he was authorized to do. Something he was commissioned to do. Something he was born to do. So he healed them. And I want to just take a quick detour. When there are people who criticize word of faith, uh, or they'll even criticize certain prayers. You know, do you remember going back a few years now, uh, the prayer of Jabez? Do you remember when this book came out? Wilkinson, I said, Bruce Wilkinson? Wilkinson? Uh, uh, Came out with a book called The Prayer of Jabez. Just a little book that just pulled out this verse from, from a very dry passage on, the, uh, on, the, on a genealogy. So-and-so begets, so-and-so, so-and-so begets, so-and-so, 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 and Jabez. And Jabez was more noble the, than, than his brothers because he, and it tells what he prayed. And, and, and just gives this short account where Jabez says, enlarge the place of my dwelling, enlarge the place of my habitation, enlarge my tent, uh, and, and keep me from doing harm. And he was talking about how, the, how God, uh, as he preserves scripture, causes that thing to appear in there. And Jabez's claim to nobility would sound to the modern ear, to the modern pious ear, as kind of a selfish prayer. He was more noble because he prayed for more. All right? So anyway, uh, there, there, a nice little cottage industry built up over this book and the prayer of Jabez and... And uh, a little prayer of Jabez bracelets, kind of like the WWJD thing. And, and then somebody else came out with a book called The Prayer of Jesus, challenging this whole selfish notion of the prayer of Jabez. And I'm like, how can, this is the Bible that says this is a noble prayer. 
And so anyway, there are people who will accuse people like you and me if we are bold enough to pray for something specific and make a specific request of God of treating God like... Somebody fill in the blank for me. You treat God like he's a servant or a genie in a bottle. But you treat God like he's a servant. What did Jesus say he came to do? He came to serve. Jesus who said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, I only do that which I see the Father doing, says to these men, what do you want me to do for you? What can I do for you? That's like a waiter. Anything I can get you. Uh, we want you to open our eyes. He had compassion on them, touched them, opened their eyes, healed them. God tells us to make our requests known. He delights in answering. You know, do you remember a few years back? I think I even addressed it on a Sunday morning shortly after it happened. Uh, but Victoria Osteen got into a little bit of hot water. You know, of course, you know, I'm, I, I'm, not, a, I'm not a Joel Osteen apologist. I kind of like the guy. I, you know, not my cup of tea in terms of deeper things of God and challenging faith. I think his niche is just reminding people who need to hear it that God really does love them. Okay? Jesus loves them. And, uh, but, of course, because he's so wildly successful, he's a target of a ton of attacks. I mean, nothing draws out the critics like success, right? So, anyway... Victoria got up one, one day during praise and worship and started, and boy, oh boy, these articles that came, I didn't even see it happen, had no idea it happened, except all these authors were writing these little blogs and articles and snippets about, this is what's wrong with the word of faith. And Joel Osteen's not word of faith. He's not in our camp, you understand. Uh, I believe he's a believer, okay? Don't get me wrong. He's, he's in the big camp, but uh, as far as word of faith goes, no, 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 no. Uh, anyway, they said, but the people who, they see it all as, oh, see, it's just all about money and health and happiness and everything. And she got up and was saying something, essentially, uh, like these moments of praise and worship when we are singing in this, it's, it's, it's not about God, it's about us. And she, uh, she frankly stated what she was saying inelegantly. But people were like, see, what could be more heretical than saying praise and worship is not about God, but about us. But what she was saying, if you listened, was we are the ones who benefit from this time. What do we know about God and his character? One of, the, one of his divine characteristics is his immutability. Now, I'm not saying you and I can't please him. I'm saying it's never the case where God is depressed and we cheer him up with our praise and worship. God is unchanged by our praise and worship. You believe that, right? I'm not saying he's not pleased. I'm saying he's not changed. Are you? You better believe it. I am. You, couldn't, you could not be in this church this past Sunday morning and argue with that. Praise and worship changes us. We are the ones who benefit from these encounters. Same with prayer. C.S. Lewis said that years ago. When, uh, uh, I forget, I don't know if it was, uh, well, who's the, the more famous author who was a friend of C.S. Lewis? Uh, come on, Lord of the Rings, Tolkien. Uh, I think it was Tolkien might have been asked. He was kind of challenging him and said, uh, if you believe in, that God is immutable and unchanging, why do you bother praying? And C.S. Lewis' response was, I don't believe prayer changes God, but prayer changes me. And it does. Now, I think that's a little bit of a weak answer when you're talking about getting an answer to prayer. But still, once again, he tells us to make our request known. He delights in answering, and God is not threatened by that in any way. What is it 
that we always say on Wednesday nights when we close. I'm blessed, and I'm a blessing. More specifically, I am blessed to be a blessing. That's the purpose of being blessed. Does God bless me because he loves me? Yes, he does. Does he have a purpose for that? Yes, he does. I prosper by the will of God so that I can give. That is the purpose of my prosperity. We are healed so that we can heal. You remember when he said, go out and uh, preach the kingdom of God, uh, heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons, freely you have received, freely give. What's he talking about? I'm asking you to minister out of what, you have been, what has been ministered to you. You can minister healing and deliverance and resurrection because you have been healed, raised, and delivered. Gifts of the Spirit, which we're going to be getting into here, into here shortly in 1 Corinthians. Why are they given? To make us look gifted? No, so that we can be a gift to the body. We are prospered so we can give. We are healed so we can heal. We are saved so we can save. Now, Scott, you've gone too far. Only Jesus can save. What did Paul say? I become all things to all men that I might by all means save some. Of course it's Jesus who does the saving. It's Jesus who does the healing. It's Jesus who prospers other people. But he uses me to get those things into other people's hands and hearts. We are taught of the Spirit so we can teach. We, so we, can teach. we are encouraged so we can encourage. We are served ministered to you know that's what ministry means right we are served so that we can serve just like so many other aspects of this walk with christ the world and sadly much of the church has the wrong idea if we're going to do this right we have to walk in a certain way we have to we have to live in a certain way and we have to serve the church our brothers our communities and god in order to Earn a place, earn approval, earn his favor. It's not what Jesus taught. It's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible says it's it's flipped around. You have been given abundance in these things, whether you have availed yourselves of them or not. The the, the, uh, supernatural supply, physical healing, strength, encouragement, confidence, spiritual gifts, giftings, ministry gifts, all these things have been made abundantly available to you first. Who made them available? Jesus Christ. Says he ascended on high and gave gifts to men. He gives them to us for the purpose of going out and then serving others. Not just out, but in here. We serve one another. This is the command. If you would be great in the kingdom of God, become a servant of all. Serve one another. But we do that in his strength. Just like we love because he first loved us. We serve because he first served us. We don't serve to earn anything from him. We serve in response to everything that has been served to us. He's a good, good God. Thanks for listening. We hope that this message encouraged and equipped you in your walk with Christ. Make sure to follow us on Facebook or Instagram to stay updated with what's going on at Living Word Family Church. Have a great day.